0: An opportunity has arisen to be mistress of the King of
1: England. You could secure for this family incalculable wealth and position. Do I have a choice? No.
0: Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'll be venturing into the early modern era in a discussion of the 2008 film, The Other Boleyn Girl with guest Dana Carrier. Hi, Dana. Hello. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you were interested in slash willing to talk about this movie?
1: <laughs> I don't know if it was it was willing or if I just said, hey, I'll do this, but we have to go to early modern period. I hate Philippa Gregory, and I'm going to talk about it. if you. Want to or not. <laughs> um, I, I've always loved history. It's a long standing obsession of mine. I think I want to say I was about 10 or 11 when I discovered the Tudors and that period in history, and it started off a decades long love affair with not only Anne Boleyn, but England and history even more than it already was. So, yeah, that's why I'm here. I hate Philippa Gregory. She is the mirror image of me in that she's she's the evil twin. Uh, we have a lot of the same interest and I should theoretically love her, but her favorites are so not mine. <laughs> and she's right. so mean to the people that I think of as my favorites. It's just it's just bad.
0: Yeah, I have a similar issue with her. So The Other Boleyn Girl, by the way, is a film that's based on Philip Gregory's 2001 novel. It's one of the first things I read when I was first getting into medieval and early modern history. I had, had a family trip planned to England and basically decided I wanted to do some historical reading and kind of started in the Middle Ages and ventured occasionally into the early modern period and never entirely left. And this is one of the things that I did read pretty early and already was very annoyed because I love Anne Boleyn and Felda Gregory does not love Anne Boleyn and she makes some choices that I feel very resentful and angry about. Oh yeah! We feel similarly, I think.
1: Uh, I also just want to say that I'm glad I'm not the only one who, whenever I'm going to a location, decides to do some reading. (laughs) <laughs> about where I'm right. going I it's kind of ridiculous my friends always mock me because I've I've been to England now five times every time I go I take a couple different historical and classic English fiction books they're like you're gonna be there why are you reading about it I'm like, so I can read about it and then look up and there it is I mean obviously
0: it really does I think make travel more I don't know it enriches it for me when you get to actually know something about the places that you're seeing. I've I've always really enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. The Other Boleyn Girl stars uh, Natalie Portman as Anne Boleyn and Scarlett Johansson as her sister, Mary Boleyn. It utterly inexplicably stars Eric <laughs> Bana as Henry VIII. If you are listening to this and do not know what Henry VIII looks like, Please go and look up a portrait of Henry VIII and also look at a picture of Eric Bana. It's a weird decision. It's
1: so, it's so stupid. Uh, This is back in the early whenevers when they were trying to make Eric Bana a thing. Right. I just want to mean girls, stop trying to make Eric Bana a thing. He's never gonna happen. And he's just so badly miscast in this.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's very pretty, but... It's it's just not this was not the role for him. No.
1: No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> it also stars Kristen Scott Thomas as Elizabeth Boleyn, Anne and Mary's mother. She is fabulous
1: uh yeah spoiler alert for the rest of the podcast here guys uh we love her and anytime she is on screen we will talk about how awesome she is
0: yeah i just like i'm going to gush about her because just like every line she delivers to perfection like you can tell that she is the i think most talented cast member by far easily (laughs) yeah then it's also fun because this movie has a number of people who in 2008 were not especially famous but are now famous and I found them very distracting in their minor roles in this film. (laughs) The first of these is uh, the man that I looked at and said, Benedict Cumberbatch is in this movie? (laughs) Yes, he is. Benedict Cumberbatch plays William Carey, Mary Boleyn's first husband.
1: Uh, It's basically Benedict Cumberbatch as Benedict Cumberbatch, because aside from a couple of things, he just always kind of is the same to me. Everyone says he's such a good actor, and I'm like, is he? Or is he just so Benedict Cumberbatchy that we just let him get away with it?
0: Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he might also always do the same thing. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it also has, as William Stafford, who. Spoiler, will end up being Mary's second husband. The person that I looked at and said, and at first just said, who is that Eddie Redmayne looking motherfucker? (laughs) And then at some point in like a subsequent scene, I'm like, wait, is that actually Eddie Redmayne? And it is! Surprise! Yeah, so Eddie Redmayne is in this movie at a time when I don't think anyone had ever heard of Eddie Redmayne. So that's fun.
1: Now that I've been saying his name a lot, Eddie Redmayne, that's actually a really fun name to say as well. It kind of is. Like Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Uh, So he's just going to be Eddie Redmayne for the rest of the show.
0: Right. Not quite as fun to say, but still weird to see (laughs) is uh, Alfie Allen. In other words, Theon Greyjoy, (laughs) and I did, when watching this movie entirely by myself in a house alone with nothing except with no one there except for a dog and cat, (laughs) did audibly say, is that Theon fucking Greyjoy in his, like, one scene in this movie?
1: Oh, no, no, no. He's got at least, well, maybe it's two. It's two scenes.
0: Right, yeah. It's not literally just one scene, but it's not a lot.
1: No, it's not. And you can't look at him and think anything but Theon fucking Greyjoy. Nope. It's just impossible now.
0: That is the cast of this film. I am certainly never going to refer to Benedict Cumberbatch as anything but Benedict Cumberbatch. Nope,
1: he's Benedict Cumberbatch.
0: Yep, I'm going to start with the enumeratio section where we talk about basically what happened in this film. And I'll begin with just a brief orienting recap, or at least I tried to have it be brief. It's not as brief as (laughs) they often are because there is a decent amount of plot. In fact, perhaps so much plot that they... Do like three years in 20 minutes.
1: (laughs) Yes, try not to be like this movie, try not to skip over everything in 30 seconds. So many choices
0: were made. The influential Thomas Howard, Duke of Norfolk, knowing that Henry is displeased with the inability of his wife Catherine of Aragon to bear children, seeks a family member to become Henry's mistress. His niece Anne Boleyn is tasked with this responsibility, but Henry prefers Anne's sister Mary, who is recently married. Mary and Henry have a very public affair, but when Mary becomes pregnant, Anne is then brought back to keep the king from turning to a woman outside the Howard clan. She does almost too good of a job, now winning over Henry to such an extent that he not only abandons Mary and their newborn child, but ultimately breaks with the church to divorce his wife Catherine. After Henry marries Anne and she is crowned queen, their relationship speeds rapidly, keyword here is rapidly, (laughs) downhill, through the machinations of her own terrible uncle and sister-in-law. Anne is accused of incest and adultery. Mary pleads for her life but is unsuccessful, and Henry has both Anne and her brother George executed. Mary takes off and lives in the country with a new husband, her own children, and Anne's daughter, the future Queen Elizabeth. So that was a lot. It
1: vaguely resembles something that actually happened in history.
0: Yes, in that very vague outline, I would say many parts of what I just said are historical reality. Not all of it, but many parts. As we go into the more detailed recap, we will see that increasingly less, basically the more detail we get into, the more of it's wrong.
1: (laughs) Someone skimmed Wikipedia.
0: Exactly, that's exactly what this movie feels like. It feels like one of those movies where somebody skimmed a Wikipedia article. It's almost like a telephone game actually, where somebody skimmed Wikipedia and then based on their memory of skimming the Wikipedia article, told somebody else what happened, and then that person made this movie.
1: It's true, and I'm not going to do this a lot, but I will give it to Philippa Gregory here in that I don't think this is entirely her fault. <laughs> I think that no. it's the fault of the people who had to adapt her book into an actual movie. They basically read the Goodreads blurb of her book. Right. They read Wikipedia and they said, okay, we got this. That is the only time I will give Philippa Gregory anything in regards to a compliment. But there you go.
0: Yeah, I will say as well, I think she actually did research. I don't agree with all of the choices that she <laughs> ultimately made, but she clearly did research which is far more than I can say for the people responsible ultimately for making the movie. Very true. The film opens with this view of Anne, Mary, and their brother George as children, and what we learn from this scene is apparently that your personality is completely (laughs) set in stone by the time you're like nine years old and you never change.
1: Uh, I I just like that he just apparently sat down his family for uh, the good old Myers-Briggs test, and right. is, is dismanded that they all run around in a field while he talks to his wife about it.
0: And he's like, all right, you know, Anne's the ambitious one, Mary's the nice one, whatever. That's it. That's what you're like. It, all, it's all settled forever.
1: Oh my gosh. No, he just took the Pottermore quiz and sorted all his children <laughs> into their Hogwarts house. He's right. very excited yeah. to talk about it.
0: Anne is Slytherin. Oh and yeah. Oh yeah. Mary is
1: Hufflepuff. Mary's is definitely Huffle- Hufflepuff. I'm gonna say George is Hufflepuff too. I yeah. th- think that is maybe why he seems a little bit disappointed with George because he was hoping right. for Gryffindor, but you got a Slytherin, man. You got Anne. You got all you need.
0: I mean, he also, most of the characters in this movie seem to forget that George exists 80% of the time <laughs> is the other problem. They're like,
1: oh yeah, George, remember him? Yeah, which is a choice.
0: And which also is something that, it's, it's been a long time at this point since I've actually read the book The Other Berlin Girl, but I don't think that was as egregious of an issue in the book.
1: I don't forget him, so it doesn't really matter what the movie does, because I never forget that he's, he's really close by and adorable.
0: Aww. We now skip forward a decade or so in time to Mary's wedding to Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Who doesn't want to marry Benedict Cumberbatch? A lot of people, I would assume. But.
0: Yeah, I don't especially want a very Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> personally, although I, you know, if you do, that's good for you.
1: <laughs> I'm not exactly proud of that, but I wouldn't mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he's he's a little too, like, lizard-looking.
1: <laughs> he is very lizard-looking. I don't know what it is about him that I find attractive, but I did, in fact, spend my 30th birthday flying to England to see him in Hamlet. I paid a truly frightening amount of money for tickets to be in the sixth row <laughs> and I haunted the stage door for a couple of days. I have no regrets.
0: Did you meet him?
1: I did, yes. Oh. Uh, it was horrible and awkward but I survived and it was really fun. Okay, all right, well that's good. And uh, he was he nice? He was very nice and it was okay. actually, it was like the third night I was had been there He had to leave early the past couple of nights, so he had not been able to do it. So me and a bunch of other girls just kept coming back. And it was girls. I was the oldest there by at least a decade. (laughs) And yeah, he signed my program, and I got to have uh, Siren Hines sign something for me, who is uh, the poor man's Alan Rickman. And it was very exciting. Yeah. Nice. Meanwhile, Catherine of Aragon,
0: queen to Henry VIII, gives birth to a stillborn child. Everyone is very unhappy. And uh, the Duke of Norfolk decides to ride off to the Boleyn household to basically just provide exposition and explain to the audience what is going on in the plot.
1: Yes, this is Uncle Exposition. Get used to him. He will show up to be Uncle Exposition quite a bit. Mm -hmm. This is your favorite character, right? This is the guy that you really, really like.
0: Oh, uh, (laughs) I, I have a special place of deep and deep hatred in my heart for the Duke of Norfolk in large part because of things that don't actually appear in this movie. (laughs) The short version that I will just give now is that the Duke of Norfolk, May He rot in Hell, after, you know, everybody knows, obviously, Anne Boleyn dies at the end. So after he married his niece to the king and the king killed her, he decides, (laughs) like, 10 fucking years later, oh, you know what's a really good idea? I should, like, have another one of my nieces try to attract the eye of a king. And guess what? She's the other one who got beheaded. Good job, Norfolk. Good fucking job. Showing some real family feeling there. Zero
1: for two. Way to go.
0: Yep. So he just like he just makes me so angry. And I think he is just like an actually terrible human being.
1: Oh, he's awful. He's just yeah. awful. I do not hate him as much just because Uncle Exposi- Exposition is played by David Morrissey, mm. who I have a weird fondness for after seeing him in british tv show couple god it was over probably about a decade now vivo blackpool it's not a good show but it's really entertaining all
0: right fair enough so
1: anytime he was on screen i just kind of started singing at him and uh yeah right so and again weird fondness but he's awful
0: yeah he's certainly awful in this he suggests that given the situation with Catherine they should find a nice Howard girl to become the king's mistress the problem with this of course by the way is that everyone is named Thomas there is a Thomas Boleyn and Thomas Howard are the two men in this particular scene there's actually even an additional like four men named Thomas who (laughs) should have been this movie and aren't so it's an issue But anyway, Thomas Boleyn suggests his daughter, Anne, as a good candidate because basically like, she's an ambitious bitch is pretty much (laughs) the implication.
1: Yes, that's exactly what her her Hogwarts test said as well.
0: Yes. Mary, meanwhile, is dropped off by Anne for her awkward sex night with Benedict Cumberbatch, and it is awkward. It's so awkward. (laughs) while Anne goes and finds out about this whole she's going to flirt with the king plan and is very pleased.
1: (laughs) There's a nice moment of sister solidarity here where Anne sort of walks with her and and offers her support. And I'd like to imagine that that's a real thing. Maybe not necessarily between these two because I don't think these two were actually particularly close. But I'd like to imagine that back in those days when that are slightly, slightly worse than the way we have it now, uh, when you were escorted to your bedchamber, that there was someone there saying it's okay.
0: Right, yeah. It's, it is a nice moment, and... Uh... It is all kind of fun the next day where they chat about just how terrible sex with Benedict Cumberbatch is. <laughs> I appreciated that.
1: I'm, I'd imagine that is not the first time that it has, that has happened either. That does seem
0: like something that really rings true to me, That especially because I would bet that for many young women getting married, the first time you have sex like probably honestly is not great you're you know marrying somebody that you probably don't have much of a relationship with and honestly like sex your very first time is usually not the best anyway no and so given that I bet there were a lot of conversations essentially about how much sex sucked on your wedding night
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I, I think having it be with Benedict Cumberbatch would be especially awkward he just seems like he's very awkward in bed.
0: Yes, and he is in the scene as he like climbs on top of her. He is extremely awkward. So good good job, Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: Oh, thank you for that visual. I, I, that was what I tried to forget.
0: The Kingman arrives to extremely ominous music. And we switch back and forth as we have this ominous music <laughs> between these dramatic scenes of Henry riding a, cor- riding a horse and then these dramatic scenes of people like chopping carrots in the kitchen. Because <laughs> everything is very dramatic. dramatic. Dramatic and
1: ominous. Two things of equal weight, I think, Uh, riding a horse dramatically and chopping a carrot. This scene bothered me deeply, the whole movie bothered me, but this scene, I've been reading a lot about how to use film language to get a point Mm -hmm. across without actually saying it. And having this sort of dramatic music highlighting it's the king made me laugh and was really frustrating because I don't think you can watch this movie and not know who Henry VIII is. Even if you barely paid attention to history in high school when they talked about it for five seconds or whatever, most people have generally heard of Henry VIII and know at least the bare bones of the story. There's a whole rhyme about it, guys. Google it if if you're Mm. unsure. I can't imagine that the movie felt the need to just really throw at you. Hey, this guy's important. Well, yeah. no shit, Sherlock. Huh.
0: Right. It's like you could be moderately subtle here with <laughs> your your strategies, at least. I, it
1: was just just the the impression of uh, cutting with the, the food with the scene. If yeah. it had been like a bunch of people standing around looking tense, it would have been annoying but bearable. It was just the the cooking. I I don't understand why you felt the need to really dramatically cook. Right. No, it's so bizarre.
0: The king finally arrives. Uh, We also meet Stafford, aka Eddie Redmayne, for the first time. And Anne starts flirting with the king, which at first seems to be going well, but then they go hunting, and Anne rides down this ravine, and then because of toxic masculinity, Henry has to follow her to prove that a girl can't do something that he can't do. And then he sucks, so he falls. And hurts himself. And then he hates Anne now because of his own fucking toxic masculinity, which is just so typical.
1: Of course. Please insert the Sarah McLachlan song of your choice here, uh, mm. as toxic masculinity does claim another victim.
0: Then they send Mary to go and tend him on his sickbed. And I guess basically the implication here is that he's had too much of women with personality. <laughs> needs to go as bland as possible it's like you've had really spicy food and then just after that you're like no i can't handle this i need to have like plain white rice that's basically the implication is that then he's like mary you're so boring i love it
1: and is into her which is funny but there's also the less funny implication that men think they want someone exciting and what they actually really want is a doormat, which, you know, is unpleasant and true.
0: Yeah, quite true. Big problem. He decides that he's into Mary, he invites her to court, and Benedict Cumberbatch is fairly chill about the fact that we're all gonna pimp out his wife now.
1: Yeah, I I guess that's just a thing you probably had to deal with. But yeah, doesn't seem like something I'd be down with. I don't really know what you can do, though. I've been right. thinking about this. What other, other choice did he have?
0: Right, exactly. That to some extent, there's really nothing else that he can do. But he actually seems less upset, though, than Anne, who is really jealous that Mary is getting to sleep with the king instead of her. They arrive at court, and Catherine, who clearly knows what's up, tries to embarrass Mary by making her sing in public, which Anne clearly thinks is absolutely fucking hysterical.
1: <laughs> this is the part where I remembered, oh yeah, Scarlett Johansson tried to have a music career at some point.
0: Hmm. And she's not a bad singer, and because in some ways it's a little weird, because I think the scene actually might have made more sense if she was a worse singer.
1: Oh yeah, I, if you if she had just been horrible, it would have really worked a lot better. Her being just kind of okay, the scene falls flat. So to speak. Yeah,
0: and she's she's very awkward about it. I mean, the there's nothing wrong with the acting. It's clear that she's not. She acts as she is not comfortable singing in public. But yeah, it would have been a much better scene if she had like sung actively badly, and instead it's just like, all right, she's fine, whatever. That didn't really seem like it was quite as embarrassing as it was supposed to be. But sure.
1: Well, because Catherine's follow up is, you sound like a songbird or something like that. Right. Like, okay. Is she? I, I honestly couldn't figure out. Is she trying to make fun of her? Or is she trying to be nice and pump her up and say, oh, that was great? I don't get it. I mean, I I know what they think they were going for, but it's not really clear.
0: Right, because it read to me as if it was supposed to be sarcastic. Exactly. But that didn't work because her voice was fine. Yeah, definitely. And then in her first illustration of how she's terrible, Jane Parker, one of the other ladies in waiting, goes out to basically explain it to Anne and Mary what the dynamic was in that room, which is something <laughs> that obviously they knew because they're not idiots.
1: Well, Mary, but still I think Mary, even Mary, <laughs> Mary has enough intelligence or at least Anne will tell her later about what the right. the underpinnings of what was actually happening there. All I could think of was did they just do this for the audience? Did they really feel that they had to spell out What just happened that we couldn't figure out what was really going on. Right. And I'm like, way to make make your audience hate this one character early. I mean, way to get that set up right away.
0: But, you know. They're not wrong. Jane Parker is and will continue to be terrible. (laughs) Jane is uh, then meanwhile seems to be interested in George. That's as a hint to how she will continue to be important subsequently. George is not happy. Yeah,
1: George looks really upset by this.
0: Yeah. I think he describes her as repulsive or something (laughs) along those lines. (laughs) Which is clearly based on her personality primarily, oh, by yeah. the way. Like she's, uh, you know, I mean she's not like stunningly gorgeous, but she's like adequate looking and it's very much implied that like the repulsiveness is just like the way that she chooses to be.
1: <laughs> her, her entire internal monologue is just right. really bad. Right.
0: Anne is flirting with Henry Percy. we'll continue with that later and henry the king ever the romantic just whispers the one word tonight to mary to let her know that she has to come fuck him
1: (laughs) and everyone looks really surprised even though this Uh is exactly why she was brought to court of course she was there to have sex with him what else was she doing right and i the scene if there had been like even the tiniest tiniest bit of chemistry between eric and Scarlett Johansson, this could have been kind of sexy in that yeah. if there had been like a buildup and you had really felt these two characters had a connection and he whispered just to her tonight, and instead it's just kind of like, ew.
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially because they cast Mary as so placid and boring that. Even that essentially, like, then they spend a ton of the movie then essentially with her telling us that she's in love with and has this chemistry with Henry that we're not seeing on screen because she's being played as the most boring person alive and as having next to no visible emotions.
1: (laughs) And I feel, okay, so say what you will about Scarlett Johansson. She's kind of controversial in terms of her, if she's actually really good or not. I think she's good. And I don't think she plays Mary bad. I think Mary is just a character with so little to go on that it's just bad. And I don't know, I haven't read the novel. Is she the point of view character in the novel?
0: I think so. And I think that helps with giving more a sense of her interiority. And I, I think also I will say I, I don't I like I agree that I actually think Scarlett Johansson is talented. I don't think this is her fault. No, I think it's the no. fault of the direction that she's being told to act this way. Yeah, it's the
1: direction and it's it's the writing of her character and that there's yes. nothing there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's some bad choices. Mary then has sex with Henry and I guess he's sexier and a much better kisser than Benedict Cumberbatch. So that's fun for everybody. <laughs> they have this weird bonding conversation where they're both like, it's so hard to be the second child. And it's like, okay, Henry, your older brother actually seems as far as i can tell to have also been like very boring and like very much not a like forceful personality and uh, he like died relatively young and then you became king like i feel like you weren't that overshadowed
1: <laughs> no and
0: then it's also bizarre because and we'll get to this later They actually switched the ages of Anne and Mary. Anne is probably the younger sibling. And so it's this bizarre, like, did they do that just so they can have this scene where they talk about how hard it is to be the second child?
1: And if they did, is that really all they could think of for these two people to talk about and have in common and bond over?
0: It's just so weird. And it's also not something that I feel, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people have talked about things like you know sibling dynamics and how they're hard maybe but i feel like if people actually have chemistry and get along you should be able to like find things to talk about where you you know find similarities and connections with one another that aren't like based purely on birth order like i'm pretty <laughs> sure that plenty of people meet and have sex and fall in love without both having happening to have the same birth order place.
1: I would assume so but you can't ever be too sure. (laughs) This it's so frustrating watching them try to to make this incredibly banal conversation sexy.
0: (laughs) Yeah and it's also like oh we're gonna like have sex and like this is supposed to be this like sexy scene so like let's talk about our siblings. (laughs) Okay. Sure, if that's what gets you
1: going, I guess. Okay. Even, even, uh, sorry, not even. After that, we're gonna talk about parents. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah, and how, uh, imagine the worst possible sex talk you can imagine (laughs) with your parents. (laughs) This is worse, the conversation in which Mary is brought straight from the fucking (laughs) bedchamber to describe her sexual encounter in detail to her father and her uncle. So cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh I know that after I have sex, I like to have kind of a, a post-romp roundup with my family to discuss how it went and kind of strategize from there.
0: Yep. The best part about this scene, however, is that the uncomfortableness is somewhat mitigated by the fact that there are two very cool Irish wolfhounds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the important part of the scene.
0: Yes, but still, it is extremely uncomfortable. Oh,
1: it's cringeworthy, and it's just not pleasant. And I can't imagine... It's not a, supposed to be a pleasant scene, I get that. But right. I, can, I don't know why they didn't have a scene of, like, Anne coming to Mary to ask about it, and then maybe Anne right, passing I'm that on. For that. Or, like, Mary's uh, mom, who's cool. We, we would absolutely love to see more Kristen scott thomas yeah. why not have her show up and her talk about it and then you know she relays back or something make it seem like this is an actual concerned family and not just hey how'd you bang how'd you it go it's so bad
0: and meanwhile in secret marries henry percy And they also seem to consummate the marriage. She all excited goes to tell Mary about this. Mary's like, yeah, there's no fucking way this is happening. (laughs) And goes immediately to tattle on Anne to their parents and uncle.
1: It's so... I I was really frustrated for many reasons. One, because Mary's little uh, snitches get stitches, Mary, really. Also. Why I can't imagine Anne doing something like this, because all we've seen from her so far, it gets better after she comes back from France, but she's still set up to be very smart, and I can't imagine her thinking that running off and marrying this guy is going to be great and everyone's going to be really happy for her.
0: Right. It's seems as far as I can tell in real life, like she was a little less hasty about the whole thing and uh, it obviously didn't work out, but that my guess is that in reality, I don't think it went quite this far to the point of being something that could ruin her socially. I mean, if she's essentially portrayed as having, you know, then basically just had sex them out of wedlock um, because the marriage would not be recognized. So yeah, I just don't think she was quite that dumb to have a, taken this big of a risk
1: it's just stupid and the one thing i i really don't think you could get away with with anne boleyn is making her stupid
0: exactly and so that's very frustrating and they're trying to present her basically as just like headstrong but yeah it just doesn't entirely work no at all she gets banished to france god forbid i have to go to the court at paris the worst thing i could possibly imagine i
1: used to have nightmares about being banished to france
0: (laughs) i would love right now to get (laughs) banished to paris Uh, yeah well amazing
1: i don't know if right now would be the time to do that but in general, send me to Paris if you must. I will cry and be so sad, let me tell you.
0: I know, yeah. Elizabeth, however, uh, their mother, encourages Anne to take advantage of the opportunity and to learn from the French woman the art of being a woman, by which she means manipulating men into letting them think that they're in charge. <laughs>
1: a very important skill to have.
0: Uh-huh. We then have the classic scene wherein a woman vomits in a movie so we know she's pregnant. <laughs> Surprise. This in, yeah, this happens in pre-modern as well as modern films. Mary and Henry are delighted, of course. Henry gives Mary and her family fancy new rooms. And uh, Thomas Boleyn then also announces that George is going to marry Jane Parker, the
1: terrible. George (laughs) is so not happy. George is upset. And I want to call your attention to something here, people. Have you noticed how we didn't mention that Mary has a husband? That's because he's gone. (laughs) Forget about him because he will not be seen the rest of the movie.
0: I think the last time we see him is in the scene where Henry like, goes up and whispers tonight that we see Benedict Cumberbatch standing there looking vaguely ill.
1: I think so. I honestly I can't remember him after that point, so I'm pretty sure yeah. he just so, disappears. Yeah, he never shows up
0: again, and then at some point, this will show up in the future, she gets another marriage proposal, and at that point he's like, wait, I'm sorry, Like, is your husband, wh- what happened to your husband? <laughs>
1: The the movie basically starts with your wedding. I'm pretty sure you were married. What happened? And it's just, it's one of the things I also really hated about this movie because then I had to think about, okay, well, isn't it possible that this is her husband's child? I mean, she was sent to court right away, but did she stop having sex with her husband completely? Right. I don't know why everyone's getting so excited about a baby that's gonna be illegitimate at best and might not even be his.
0: Right. And uh, then Elizabeth is, uh, their mother, is also less than pleased and basically says, uh, that why should she be happy like her husband thinks that they should be, given that she has one child forced to marry a girl he hates, one banished to France, and one whoring in public. <laughs> uh,
1: whoring in public is my new favorite crime I didn't know that you could be convicted of. <laughs> it's like one of those stupid laws that are still in the books somewhere, I'm sure. Right. But uh, I that's my new band name, whoring in public. There we go. <laughs>
0: There you go. Mary wakes up and sees blood. The doctors confirm that the child is healthy, but that it's time for her to be uh, to begin the part of your pregnancy where you lie alone in a room in the dark for
1: the next, like, two months, I guess. <laughs> okay, so this has always been an uncomfortable idea, and it's certainly a scene when you, you see it on film. It's very scary. It is now so frightening to think of. Yeah. It's like some
0: handmade stale
1: shit. It's handmade Tale shit, and it's also tr- when you're trying to self quarantine for whatever reason, whatever might be going on in the world, and you're just laying there and it's dark and you're all alone. It's terrible. Right. Oof. Yeah. I I originally was gonna pitch this to uh, Blumhouse in terms of a, a new horror movie. Uh, however, I'm thinking it's i am I'm gonna have to get in line. I think uh, a couple months right. from now we're gonna have a lot of movies like that.
0: Yeah. Oof. It's it's creepy. Norfolk is concerned that Henry might go after like some Spanish girl, I guess, <laughs> or uh, quote that milk-faced girl from the Seymour family more on her later, and that they basically need to find somebody to make sure that he doesn't stray too far from Mary and stays within the Howard clan. And (laughs) Tom suggests that Anne has been much changed by her time in France, which has been, I guess, like three months. So I guess she's a completely (laughs) different person now.
1: It's like, what, maybe five minutes in movie time. So right, that's obviously enough to completely change your personality.
0: Right. I mean, I guess Mary's pregnancy has progressed enough that it certainly could be, like, maybe, like, I feel like it can't be more than about five months. At the most, yes. Yeah. And suggest that she be brought back to entertain the king and keep his mind on Mary. She gets brought back and literally just, like, dropped on a shore alone <laughs> with no luggage.
1: Which I guess is just 16th century Uber. Where you're just, uh, right? there's a boat and it's just you and I guess whatever you're wearing and hey, don't worry, we've got some horses you can dramatically ride along the beach. Yeah, then dramatically rides the horse across the beach, okay. I, I don't know what it is about movies like this, but if if anyone, if no one rides a dramatic, uh, rides dramatically on a horse to sweeping music, does movie even get made? I mean.
0: Right? Like what even is the point? <laughs> And Anne then goes to court. I have such a crush on Anne in this scene same, at court. Same. She's wearing this like amazing green dress and is just like so like beautifully snarky. and just like the way she commands a room, it is so sexy. It's very hot. <laughs> yeah. She flirts with Henry, uh, largely by kind of making the pretty clever move of insulting his big rival, Francois I of France.
1: But she does it in a very wonderfully subtle way, in that she doesn't just start walking up to him and talking how much, how horrible his rival is, when I think even Henry would be onto that. She's very coy and very subtle in it, and it's wonderful.
0: She's very clever and, and as I said, just like the way that she manages to have just all eyes on her and to really command the space. Like I wanna say the alternative history where Anne Boleyn's like a stand up comedian.
1: Oh, that would be such a good one. I always thought growing up she'd make an excellent CEO. And CEO. and uh, I, I stand by that. I think that Anne Boleyn in the modern age would you would definitely know her name. I think she'd be she'd yeah. be doing something. Absolutely.
0: Mary is upset because the king is flirting with Anne now. And George's terrible wife, Jane, is jealous that he's hanging out with his sisters instead of fucking her. (laughs) Thanks, Jane. That's great. Good contribution here.
1: (laughs) Way to help the team.
0: Yep. Henry sends Anne some fancy jewelry delivered by Fionn fucking Greyjoy. and she sends it back. Anne and Mary have a lot of passive-aggressive conversations. Mary at this point tells Anne that she loves Henry, to which Anne responds, well, perhaps you should stop, to which it's like, you know, you're not wrong, not wrong here.
1: And that's when Anne said the smartest thing I've ever heard in a movie.
0: Right. Henry goes to see Anne and asks Elizabeth as he's coming into their apartments, where is your daughter? The tone in Mm. which Kristen Scott Thomas delivers the line, which one, is absolute perfection. So good.
1: I want to think that this movie at some point had Oscar buzz when they were first talking about making it, and that's why they cast who they cast in it. And I I have such a memory of Kristen Scott Thomas winning for The English Patient, but apparently it's the Mandela effect. She didn't. Mm. And I I think if there had been anyone getting him, Oscar for this movie it would have been her and the Oscars always have that one scene that they pick to show the clip of and everyone claps afterwards this would have been her scene it would have just been her sitting there looking up going which one and she would have won because it's so good
0: it is and I'm, I'm a big believer that there should be more recognition for actors who like Really do their level best and really pull off a great performance in a movie that is not good.
1: <laughs> yes, and that does happen usually with I want to say like best actor, best actress. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you saw it uh, even this last year with Renee Zellweger and uh, Judy right. Garland. Everyone says she did great. The movie itself is meh. Mm-hmm.
0: So I said, like I. You know what? I think Kristen Scott Thomas deserved an Oscar nomination for this movie. For this movie, the movie did not deserve anything else, but and Scott Thomas deserved an Oscar nomination.
1: She had so little to work with and she did it so
0: well. Yes. Mary gives birth. Childbirth is terrible. I'm sure always, but especially in the 16th century. Oh. And this is such an uncomfortable scene because it's Henry and Anne flirting to the background noise (laughs) of Mary
1: screaming in pain. It sounds, uh, it is about as romantic as it sounds, the way they just, they they make eyes at each other and talk flirtatiously, and in the background you could hear there's just screams of agony and it's just so bad. It's so bad. uh, You don't like Henry anyway, because Henry is Henry, but it just really makes you feel upset with Anne, because you're supposed to be better than this, honey.
0: Yeah, it's like, really, you're not a little, like, turned off by the fact that your sister is screaming in the background, and like, like childbirth's rough, like, she could die.
1: Maybe don't flirt over the corpse of your sister. Just a thought. Yeah,
0: it's not great. So Anne tells Henry that she's not sure if she can really love him, that because of his history with Catherine and with her sister makes her not super trustful. But then, as it is announced that Mary has given birth to a boy, she decides to, you know, basically figure out, like, okay, I'm gonna go all in for this and see what I can do, and tells Henry, yes, you can have hope if you never, basically, if you never speak to your own wife or to my sister again. And he, in response, says, okay, cool, and walks the fuck out (laughs) without speaking to the woman who just gave birth to his infant child or meeting his son. Dad of the fucking year here, everybody.
1: Um, Yeah, no, Henry's terrible. He's not going to get the mug that says, world's best dad. He's going to get a thimble. And Mm -hmm. it will only get smaller and become non-existent as time goes on because he is (laughs) just really damn awful. Yep,
0: not a great dad. Anne is very smug. Norfolk is displeased because he now has reason to think that Mary can no longer bear children and so the son could have in fact had some possibility of inheriting. To which Anne basically responds he's a bastard, fuck off. <laughs> and that in accordance with the king's wishes and hers, they will be sent to the country. And Elizabeth, who's clearly just like fucking sick of this, is like, all right, you can tell her that shit yourself.
1: <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. Right. And... We didn't really talk about it, but earlier, the reason that Eddie Redmayne and Mary were bonding earlier is because they both didn't like court and wanted to be in the country. So theoretically, this is great for Mary. Right, yeah. Anne tells uh, Mary uh, that, uh,
0: you know, they're gonna be sent off to the country, and uh, yet I think she basically then even is like, Yeah, I thought that's what you wanted was to go and live on your own in the country (laughs)
1: away from court. See, (laughs) I'm making all your dreams come true.
0: Right. Mary warns Anne that she will not fare any better and notes that she slept with Henry out of love, to which Anne responds that a man's love is worthless. Once again, she is not wrong. (laughs) Uh, And then also says that if she bears Henry a son, he will not be a bastard. Great. Yeah, so Mary is sent back home. Benedict Cumberbatch is nowhere to be fucking seen. Once again,
1: I guess we're supposed to presume he's dead. I don't know. Uh, And I read the Wikipedia article on this and it says at this point that he has died, Uh, where? There is no indication in this movie that he is dead. You can assume that by the fact that she later remarries, but (laughs) there's no discussion. There's no, oh, by the way, my husband is dead kind of thing. And you'd think that that might be something that they would want to highlight. In terms of, oh look, her husband's dead. Now maybe he can marry her. He has proof that she can produce a son. Therefore, you know, that's great. Mm -hmm. You'd think that they want to bring that up, but no, he just disappears.
0: Absolutely not. Yeah, it's ridiculous and then now tells henry that she will only give herself to him when he is loyal to her alone or in other words when catherine ceases to be queen henry tries to ha- uh says that he'll have uh, thomas wolsey pour one out for one of the many thomases <laughs> who should be in this movie and isn't and uh, he says he'll have wolsey draw plans to send catherine to a convent and Anne suggests that they go further in order to make sure that their child
1: won't be a bastard
0: It's implied that now we're moving toward annulling the marriage. This is never actually really explained.
1: Nope. You're just supposed to, I guess, know it.
0: Yeah. And then there's this bizarre scene where, so Henry has, I guess, heard that Henry Percy's wife is trying to get an annulment of her marriage by claiming that Henry Percy had really married Anne. So Henry to basically make sure that this isn't true, decides at this point that the only person he believes, Is (laughs) is married. <laughs> the woman that he like slept with for a few months and has like refused to speak to for the last now like year or whatever, whatever the timeline is supposed to be because it's a disaster.
1: You <laughs> have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. No. The only scene where I kind of feel sorry for Henry in in terms of does he not have any other friends. I mean at all. (laughs) Yeah it's just it's so weird.
0: She asks Mary Mary, as a peace offering to her sister lies and says that the Henry Percy stuff isn't true and Anne then tells Mary that now she has to come to court so that they can like keep their awkward frenemy relationship going.
1: (laughs) Yes um, I have many friends and I would absolutely lie to a king uh, for all of them. I don't know if I'd want to be stuck there having to see the guy that I was theoretically in love with sleep with my sister or not sleep with my sister, I guess is
0: more accurate here. Catherine goes on trial. Another thing that we have not explained, pour one out here for (laughs) another Thomas, Thomas Cromwell, who should be the person engineering this whole annulment and uh, how it all goes down eventually. Not in this movie, really. Nope.
1: Thomas not appearing in this film.
0: Yep, and uh, we kind of run into Catherine briefly en route to her trial, at which it increasingly becomes apparent, at least if you know what's going on, I'm not sure it would be apparent (laughs) if you didn't already know the story, that Henry is going to have to break with Rome. And they have this family dinner where the Boleyns in Norfolk
1: are basically like, what the fuck did we do? (laughs) Which is, it's, it's great, and Anne is very calm about it, like, it's okay, guys, I got this.
0: Yeah oh, this is this is what's supposed to happen. Henry's going to be the head of the Church of England. And they're like, I'm sorry, he's going to be what? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's great.
1: <laughs> and you can't help but feel like they deserve it. I mean, they're the ones that pushed right, right. for this. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's your fault.
0: Oh, yeah, no, zero sympathy, to be honest, for them. <laughs> Then we skip that apparently we've now accomplished all of that. I guess the marriage has now been annulled and Henry has established the Church of England. Poor one out for his Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, also not appearing, Sir Thomas also not appearing in this film.
1: (laughs) So we're on three of the four Thomases now, right?
0: (laughs) Yep. And Henry, in fury at having had to do all this for Anne, rapes her, which is such a choice, like it is such an uncomfortable and unnecessary and gratuitous scene and I'm real mad about it.
1: I'm very angry for many reasons, one, I'm just tired of seeing rape, As someone who mm-hmm. maybe not likes but can appreciate like sort of a rape revenge genre, right? it doesn't usually bother me in terms of seeing it, I, if it's done well. This is, this is not done well, and it's just so. Not at all. Egregious and unnecessary, and it, I hated it. I hated it. I really think that if they had thought about it for 30 seconds, and, and maybe if they wanted to sort of bring up the subject, Henry marrying all these poor women and forcing women to be his, his mistresses. That's also non-consensual in many ways. And I think a great discussion or a great scene. Something could have been made of that. To have him yeah. rape Anne like this is just so brutal and so horrible. And, and you kind of... We've seen Anne really become a force at this point. And yeah, you can't help but feel... Like, this is some weird way of the movie trying to put her back in her place. Or maybe that was just me, because...
0: No, I definitely kind of felt that as well, that it very much felt like you have worked so hard to portray this woman as, like, very in control. And also, actually, I will say, in addition to being in control, wielding her sexuality as a weapon, and then in this scene, it's turned against her.
1: And it's just brutal.
0: Yeah. It also is a scene that historically I don't think actually makes any sense which unsurprisingly means it is gratuitous but that essentially is something that they need because then at this point they essentially sprint through the three years of Anne's reign and the only way they can do that is by basically making it seem that basically by the second they got married Henry just hated her already. But it's like, it doesn't make sense. It's like you literally just, like, tore apart England, essentially, for her, and you hate her already?
1: You're- you're literally changing the history of the world, and you just- you're done. Really? Really?
0: Right. And it also is, you know, it is well after this point that he's still pushing people to swear an oath of loyalty to her and even go so far as to execute a close friend of his who refuses to do so. Pour one out for Thomas number
1: four, (laughs) Thomas Moore. Oh, man. how do you... (sighs) Normally, if if they cut a, a guy from a film, I'm okay with that. Less men in film. Great for me. Yeah. But these guys are actually really important. You kind of need them. Right. The
0: story makes less sense without them. And it's just this uh, bizarre decision that's made. It also, I will go ahead and say now, uh, I have not seen the miniseries, but I've read the uh, first two books, and I'm looking forward to the third, which was just released, of uh, Hilary Mantel's uh, works on Thomas Cromwell, uh, the first of those being Wolf Hall. And I think that book has actually, or that's in that uh, trilogy, has actually really quite successfully in some ways ruined this movie because anyone who has read that book, even if they don't have other exposure to Tudor history, is going to be watching this entire movie going, where's Thomas Cromwell? (laughs)
1: It's so dumb. (laughs) That's all I got at this point. I I can't even be coherent about it. I'm just angry. Yeah.
0: As I said, the movie then, I think at this point it's like, what? There's like 20 minutes left and it's like, wait, there's like three years to go. But okay, like Anne's entire reign as queen is like shoved into like 15 minutes, basically.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, very impactful 15 minutes.
0: Because it's like 20 minutes are left in the movie. We also still, however, have this time to have this stupid scene where Stafford shows up and is like, Mary, we both hate being at court. Let's get married. And she's like, what? And she also still calls him Stafford. They're not
1: even on a first name basis. Ah, That's all I got. Yep, I've reached the part where I'm just screaming in agony. Why? Why? And especially if you know a little bit of the history, and this is... Recently thought to be a, a an actual love match in real life he was far below her and she married him and she faced consequences for it why would you not want to show that wouldn't that be a great thing in this romantic right. movie to show an actual romance nope
0: yeah that would have been so much more interesting and also i think would have functioned to make mary somewhat more interesting to actually show her falling in love with somebody and like getting over Henry and figuring and like trying to figure things out for herself that would have made her a character who was less excruciatingly dull as dishwater (laughs) but that's not what they did yeah Anne gives birth to a child she was a girl that she names Elizabeth uh, after Henry's mother and conveniently also after her own Uh, one of the benefits I guess of there being like four names
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's maybe five maybe five Yep. We've got Henry, Mary, Elizabeth, Thomas, clearly. uh
0: uh-huh. Lots of Thomases. Catherine.
1: Yeah, we got five. We got five names.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. Six, we have Jane.
1: Oh, we also have Jane. I forgot about, well, yeah, for many reasons, I forgot about Jane. Everyone always forgets about Jane. Henry
0: angrily says, well, if we can have a healthy daughter, we can have a healthy son and just takes the fuck off. Once again, not winning any mugs for Dad of the Year.
1: Now, if you're paying attention, his thimble is now like uh, basically it's it's about the size of a penny, and it's just yep. flat. There's nothing to yep. actually contain any liquid. It's just a tiny little speck.
0: Not even getting into, of course, the fact that at this historical moment of time, he also has another legitimate daughter, Mary, his daughter by Catherine of Aragon, who he is like mostly ignoring sometimes like depriving of basic necessities and also refusing to let her see her mother as a punishment to her mother
1: so cool okay it's gone the mug is is shattered into a million pieces he's just terrible he's just terrible
0: yeah and i will say like he is at this moment in time is less of a terrible father to Elizabeth in historical reality than he is in this movie, but. And the and the stuff about Mary is, shockingly enough, not in this movie. <laughs> Henry is increasingly showing interest in Jane Seymour. We we all forgot about her, but Henry for some reason didn't because uh, once again, it's very much the like, no, I, I've, I've had too much of interesting women with personalities, so <laughs> let, let me find
1: a boring one. She's so boring. She's so boring. That is really her, her biggest crime, well among many, is that it you follow someone like Anne Boleyn, you gotta have some pizzazz. And she just has nothing. She has no pizzazz,
0: and she basically her whole histo- her whole arc is that she basically like steals Anne's game oh. of the whole like I'm not gonna have sex with you until we're married because I am so like ethical and Christian. It's like, you know what? If you're going to pull this shit and like seriously like harm another woman over it, at least come up with your own fucking game. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's that's why I didn't like her as a kid because yeah. she just, she does what Anne does and she doesn't do what is good. <laughs> and it's just mm-hmm. so frustrating.
0: Yeah. And she just, ugh, I, I, she's somehow just like both like conniving and boring. And it's like, how, 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 <laughs> Ugh. and then is kind of starting to panic essentially and talks about the fact that she's had to engage in what she describes as depravities to basically make Henry be able to get it up and is freaking out that all of this is gonna be lost. She is pregnant again and at this point norfolk may he rot in hell <laughs> and her sister-in-law jane parker slash uh, roachford uh, by virtue of her marriage may she also rot in hell believing that without a boy the boleyns could essentially you know this could be their downfall since things are not going great with henry and anne suggests that basically they should uh, team together to make sure that they can save their own skins in the event that something goes south.
1: Charming, charming man.
0: Yep, just 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 great. Anne miscarries and calls in her brother and sister to dispose of the fetus. And Anne, in a plot point that I am not fond of, oh! suggests that actually, maybe so I can like be pregnant again and not have to tell Henry about this, maybe you, George, my brother, should have sex with me. I
1: just I I've, I've given up. I can't I can't talk about it. Yep. I just No. Okay, so if you know anything about the history, you know that this was actually a charge that was leveled at Anne Boleyn and that they were both executed because yes, of it. Yes, exactly. Now, even her worst detractors, the people that absolutely loathed her, pretty much agree that this was completely made up. This was yeah. Hen- Henry and his little goons trying to find something, throwing everything at the wall hoping something stuck. And she really probably didn't ever proposition her brother so why of all the things that they could make to include why did it actually have to implicate that it was actually true
0: yeah and in general i'd say also that accusation and just like the sheer number of men that she was ultimately accused of having had uh, adulterous sex with is i think designed to essentially present her as this kind of monster of lust because the concern was that if she was not seen as having these just incredibly unnatural and excessive appetites, then there would be an implication, well, why can't the king satisfy her? Mm. So there was just this like extreme that was gone to in order to essentially make sure that she was the villain, but that there were no negative implications for basically Henry's ability to satisfy a woman. As you said, nobody thinks that the incest accusation in particular was had any basis whatsoever and I really am truly disgusted by the choice, and this is in the book as well, by the choice to give credence to that accusation.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating and this is the point where I was screaming at television.
0: Yeah. Mary runs off to the country because she is disgusted. They don't ultimately go through with it but Jane however sees them starting to and essentially climbing in bed together and runs off to tell the king because she's a little snake.
1: (laughs) She's definitely a snake.
0: Anne goes to tell Henry about the miscarriage and he calls her an evil witch and has her as well as George arrested. Elizabeth slaps her dumb fucking husband in the face which is very satisfying. (laughs) And Mary, I guess, gives a shit about nobody and is like, run off to the fucking country with Eddie Redmayne, even though we have definitely forgot to kill Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) Anne's trial is a good moment. She challenges the nobles' failure to rise for their queen, and also I love that she keeps reminding everyone present that Norfolk is indeed her uncle. If only she had been successful in the like, I'm gonna bring this fuck down with me. Oh yeah. Sadly she was not, but like I appreciate her trying.
1: (laughs) It's really good. She says uncle in a very specific way that really means I hate you. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic.
0: Uh, The existence of Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell, is briefly acknowledged when he is asked to read the charges, but but (laughs) that's all we see of him. The fact that he, like, engineered both the annulment and Anne's downfall, essentially, is completely not in this movie. Thank you. No, Thank you
1: very much. Just one little tiny cameo of a guy that we're told is him.
0: Yep. And everybody, including her shit uncle and her ex Henry Percy, declare her to be guilty. Great. Yep. George is beheaded. Mary shows up to plead for Anne. The king implies that he might basically be nice to her and, you know, give her and show her mercy but i'm not betting on it nope nor is anne uh mary goes to her and like and mary's very hopeful and anne is very much like oh mary you're just so naive oh sweetie i appreciate that but no she walks to her death speaks her last word guards then show up and hand mary a note which mary hopes is going to be like a pardon It is very much not a pardon (laughs) it's basically like it's very brave of you to have come and pled for your sister don't do it again and and then starts sobbing as she realizes, like, nope on that whole pardon thing, and she is beheaded with a sword and dies. We then, meanwhile, hear a child weeping in the distance. This child is supposed to be the future Queen Elizabeth. This child should be approximately three years old, and there is no way the actual child that we see here is over one, but that's a choice. (laughs) And Mary then just grabs her and runs off, because in this movie it's apparently not a problem for somebody to just, like, grab the person who at this point still technically remains the heir to the throne and leave.
1: I think you could probably still get away with it today. Just walk into Buckingham Palace and grab Prince George, right?
0: Yep, just grab him and run.
1: Yep, not, not a problem. I also like how this child that is supposedly, uh, according to the timeline, three, but actually looks like maybe 18 months, is with yeah. Anne and Mary's mom. Like. Yes, there's no royal nannies. There's no tutors. There's no, huh, tutors. There's no guards. It's just the mom, just grandma, just watching the kid, you know, as you do. Grandma didn't show up at her daughter's execution. (laughs) Which, okay, I guess you probably wouldn't want to see that, but I think you'd at least be upset and not just playing with your grandchild.
0: Right. It's, it's desire. The closing text informs us that Thomas Boleyn died wretched and disgraced two years later, that Norfolk was eventually imprisoned in the next three generations of his family executed. It skipped a few details here that I think are very important that I will discuss later. And then we finally see basically a bunch of redheaded children running around in the country because I guess this movie is claiming that Mary raised her niece. And the closing text informs us that Henry would indeed have a strong heir, but that is not a son, but his daughter, Elizabeth.
1: In case you knew absolutely nothing about history, surprise, his daughter. Like surprise,
0: it's Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we fooled you. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't guess. Never would have figured it out.
0: Ugh. So this movie. Is, it, is
1: it a movie or is it just put on this earth to torture me?
0: Uh, it might be that. <laughs> The next two segments will be the ones in which we talk about what this movie got right and mostly what this movie got wrong. So the first of these, Vera at Falso. I'll start
1: with a few things that got right. <laughs> there was people named Henry VIII, Elizabeth, uh-huh. Anne. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: uh-huh. There are a couple of obviously correct beats here and there. Everybody obviously knows that Anne was executed. Henry really did have an affair with her sister Mary prior to his relationship with Anne. And uh, as he said before, there are some other kind of vague outlines of, you know, Anne being his second wife of the annulment that are at least more or less in this movie that are,
1: you know, bare bones correct. The things you would have to get right if you had skimmed the Wikipedia article.
0: Exactly. The things that I will say that are somebody put slightly more effort into, the headdresses in this film that you see the distinct headdresses being worn by members of the court and in particular the fact that the style that Anne wears is distinct from the style that Catherine Aragon wears and that this actually was essentially a way of marking allegiances for a bit at uh, at the court during this period where they're essentially in kind of de facto two queens. That's a good detail to have in. They got the headdresses right, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, the costume designer actually paid attention. Yeah, the, the
0: costumes in general, I would say, are not bad.
1: They're very nice looking, except for the, the queen dress. It's a great right. color, but it, I don't know if it's just the fabric on screen or what they use makes it look vaguely like some sort of taffeta prom dress.
0: Yeah, the fabric is weird, but I will say like the silhouettes of clothing in general, like somebody clearly looked at Tudor portraiture.
1: Oh yeah, no, I I don't blame her for, she, she paid attention, I'm assuming it's a woman, most costume designers are, somebody paid attention, it looks vaguely accurate, it just, I couldn't get over. It took me a while to get on board with the green dress because, like I said, the color is gorgeous and it, it looks really cool. But it, the, the fabric is just not good. That's fair. The
0: other thing that I will say that they got right is the uh, the lying in before childbirth. That like creepy period where you have to be isolated in your last few months of pregnancy, and then actually also for like a month after pregnancy. After giving birth, that is a real thing that women of this class would have expected to do. It, it's very much determined by social status. Uh, like peasant women could not have afforded to pull this shit. No. <laughs> but, but a woman of her status, and especially, you know, a woman who is, you know, ostensibly giving birth to the child of the king, it, you know, this is definitely something that would have been expected.
1: Yep. And I just, the more I think about it, the more I'm just going to go ahead and do it and write my movie where a well-to-do woman in the 15th or 16th eh, 16th century, we'll we'll age it up a bit, is forced to do her lying in with her evil husband and Mm -hmm. his compatriots trying to frighten her and all she has is her wits and she's trapped in this room and it's going to be very awful. But yeah, look for that coming uh, eventually, maybe early next year. Yeah, (laughs) exciting.
0: In terms of things they got wrong i'll first just say a little one which is that i was sad to see that there really are many of the major locations in which this these events actually took place including heaver castle the home of the boleyn family as well as hampton court uh, one of the residences uh, of uh, henry and anne that these are real places that could have been i Ideally, at least exterior filming locations. and uh, it's sad that they, I guess, were not able to make
1: that happen. It is really sad, especially since uh, Hampton Court has a beautiful dining room that he ac- uh, Henry the a actually had banquets in, and there are carvings in the ceiling where you could actually apparently it's still one location C and H and A for Henry and Anne. I think it would have been beautiful. <laughs> On screen and instead everything's just like it's a bedroom.
0: Yeah and there are a couple of castles that they, I can't remember offhand, I didn't write down which they are, but there are a couple of English castles that would have been standing in this period that they used as background at least filming locations. I don't think for the interiors but for the exteriors at least and given that they did do some filming on location it's, it's too bad that they did not do so in places that would have been actual real places with a connection to the story. Mm-hmm. Then there's the kind of things they got wrong in the general kind of narrative of Anne's life and Mary's. And there are so many of them <laughs> that I, at this point, am going to just go into the next section, the Historia ad Veritas where we'll talk about the real history of a historical figure in this case of course it can be none other than anne boleyn
1: team anne all the way team
0: anne yes i i am very team anne everybody has like a favorite of <laughs> the wives of henry the if you do if you know anything about this period you know you like pick out your favorite or favorites and anne has always been Definitely one of my favorites. The other is that I have a very soft spot for Anne of Cleves uh, that has only uh, grown after my own divorce where I'm like, oh yeah, you just got a ton of money and then lived (laughs) alone and didn't have to deal with any men. Like good for you.
1: Yeah, uh, I, Anne, obviously my fave. Uh, now, and, now and always, but I have a real thing for uh, Catherine Parr as well. Mm. She is very very cool. She does not appear in this film thank god.
0: Right, and and should not so No,
1: no. the reason that she would.
0: And I do have like, you know what uh, I'm on team man, but I've got a little respect I will say for Catherine Nevada going like just sheer stubbornness.
1: Yes she is one who's, <laughs> who's uh, one of the wives who's grown on me as when I was a kid I just, yeah. I could not find anything likable about her. Her stubbornness and her unwillingness to just kind of give in yeah. as I got older and realized how important that is uh, I've liked right, that a lot right. more.
0: Yeah and I, I like Catherine Parr too and Catherine Howard I just feel very sorry for. Her. Oh I, mean, I feel so was sorry for her. 19 when she was executed and like she was just in over her head with the whole thing. Like, oh yeah she, part, she, she like was, was thrown
1: to the child. wolves so I do yeah. feel bad for her. Yeah.
0: To return to Anne's story The timeline is like an absolute disaster and there are a few pretty significant changes. She was born in either 1501 or 1507. We actually don't know which for sure. I've seen interesting arguments recently in favor of the later date, which would have made her quite young, which would have made her ultimately 29 when she was executed. And she was the daughter of Thomas Belind, who's a pretty minor nobleman, and Elizabeth Howard, sister to Thomas Howard, the third Duke of Norfolk. And as said, Mary probably was the older daughter, not the younger. The film also presents Mary and Anne as having this lengthy idyllic childhood together at their family home. In reality, Anne was sent at the age of either 6 or 12.
1: (laughs) I love the distance in that. She was either uh, still basically a toddler or 12.
0: (laughs) I know, it's just like such a weird thing that like We don't know if she was born in 1501 or 1507, because it really does make such a difference. At one of those ages, she was sent to the Netherlands as an attendant to Margaret of Austria, and then the next year was uh, relocated to France to act as a maid of honor to uh, Queen Mary, Henry's sister who had recently married the king of France. And then subsequently after Mary's husband, the very elderly king of France, died, Anne stayed on and became the maid of honor to Claude, who was Mary's stepdaughter, and then also had married the new king of France, Francois I, who was her cousin. Mary, her sister, so many Marys. Oh, so many Marys. Was also in France with Anne. And one of the other things this movie does is it presents her, in addition to being very boring, as being extremely innocent, both in the sense of she's not one of these manipulative people, but also really in the sense of it's like presented as, well, she really only has sex with Henry because she's in love with him. And... There's very much, even though the, like they are both essentially the king's mistresses at various points, there's a real uh, kind of virgin whore mm-hmm. narrative that this movie is emphasizing here with Mary being the kind of innocent virgin and Anne being the whore. Given that choice, which the movie makes, I think it is worth noting that Mary, far from being this innocent when she arrives at the English court had an affair with King Francois, who referred to her reportedly as a very great whore.
1: <laughs> I, I really want to know if he meant that she was like really great or if she's just like quantity great, you know?
0: I think it might have been quantity <laughs> uh, or yeah, or like degree. And he also, I believe, referred to her as my English mare, by the way, by which I mean by that I like to ride her. Uh. So, like obviously disgusting. Classy. And not on board with the slut-shaming, but I think the story honestly would have been more interesting if Mary had been, like, this woman who just unabashedly was like, yeah, I really enjoy sex.
1: Yeah, but I don't think Philippa Gregory saw her that way. So, no. you know, God forbid women be complicated, right?
0: Right, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's what Philippa Gregory wanted to see, but I think she's incorrect.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, Philippa Gregory is incorrect? No. God forbid.
0: Mary is the first of the sisters to return to England, where she marries William Carey, aka Benedict Cumberbatch, and shortly after begins an affair with Henry. She bears two children, and we genuinely can't know for sure if they're her husband's or Henry's. I'm inclined to think that there is at least enough reason to think they were her husband's. Basically, essentially, given that Henry did not make the choice to acknowledge them in any way, which he had done with a previous bastard child of his, uh, Bessie Blount's son, who is known, in fact, as Henry Fitzroy, Henry's son of the king, (laughs) and who Henry, you know, didn't legitimize, but he did acknowledge as his son. Mm -hmm. And I think given how strongly he felt about producing offspring and particularly sons, I think that if... uh, he had genuinely been pretty sure that mary's children were his uh, i think he would have acknowledged them in some way and he never did
1: exactly that was my thought too i just that's what so many things bothered me about this movie obviously it bothered me that there's no discussion of her son like basically once mary has her kid the kid is never mentioned again
0: (laughs) right and it's like it doesn't make any sense because it's also like this is a child who, especially if he were acknowledged, like he would really be positioned in a kind of interesting way at, you know, in relation to the throne. And certainly would be somebody who like could be counted on to make a very good marriage and who like given his being potentially both a half, like given like that he would potentially be both a half sibling and cousin to Elizabeth, that like, this is somebody that like, it would have kind of made sense to be like thinking about this as like somebody who would be like a close ally to the queen in her future Mm -hmm. to to, like somebody who was at this point potentially the future queen so it's just it's some odd decisions are being made
1: (laughs) some odd it's odd that's a word
0: Yeah. And William Carey, by the way, does die in 1528. This is somewhat after Anne, however, has returned to England. She comes back in 1522. She has this cousin that she's supposed to get married to, and that doesn't end up actually happening. And she has some kind of interaction with Henry Percy. They were at least probably secretly engaged. And uh, then, basically, to kind of deal with the fallout from this, Anne was sent away from court to her family estates. She does come back to court, and uh, in 1526, Henry starts to pursue her, and she does indeed refuse to become his mistress. So, uh, one of the things that I think is really striking and not entirely surprising is that the scenes that are by far most compelling are those scenes with Anne and Henry where she's basically trying to like keep them on the hook with this trick, essentially, of like she's not going to become his mistress, but she's going to continue to kind of carry on this relationship, but without actually having sex with him. And those are, I think, by far the best scenes in the film. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the best scenes are the ones that have some basis in historical reality. It's not
1: a coincidence at all. And I'm bummed that we only got maybe one and a half, two scenes of that. I think there really could have been a lot more time devoted to well they sprint through this movie they were they were never going to get through all of it so focus on a time period right and and don't try to tell the whole story it's not going to work but if they had focused more on on how anne is able to divert his attention completely to her would have been phenomenal That would have been fun. Yeah. would have loved that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Increasingly due to both his interest in Anne and the fact that he does not have and very fervently feels the need for a male heir, Henry begins to pursue the possibility of annulment. Cardinal Thomas Wolsey, one of our many <laughs> missing Thomases. In fact, his ultimate downfall is because he fails to secure this annulment from the Pope which really isn't his fault, because the Pope <laughs> is probably influenced by the fact that starting in 1527, he is literally the hostage of Catherine's <laughs> nephew, Charles V, the King of Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor.
1: <laughs> yeah, annulment wasn't happening at that point, guys.
0: And again, just by the way, like this is such an interesting, complex story, and so much of the politics we just completely skipped.
1: So annoying, so annoying.
0: Although public support largely remains with Catherine, Anne is essentially the queen in all but name from about 1531, and they marry in secret in 1532, at which point Anne becomes pregnant. Thomas Cromwell, missing Thomas, (laughs) number two, ensures the passage of laws that give Henry supremacy over the Church of England, at which point uh, Henry installs a new Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, who agrees with him. And... uh, the two of them have a Henry and Anne have a second wedding ceremony, and Thomas Cranmer declares uh, Henry's marriage to Catherine to be officially annulled and his marriage to Anne valid. Surprise! Surprise! He also basically, as a way to make sure that there is loyalty to Anne, but at this point, in many ways, more importantly, to their unborn child, who he who is his presumed heir, because Mary, his previous daughter by Catherine, is by virtue of this declared illegitimate. He essentially has uh, demands of all his nobility that they sign this kind of loyalty oath, and Thomas More, who had previously been a close ally of his, refuses to do so, and as a result of that is ultimately executed for treason in 1535.
1: And look, it's another Thomas that we don't see.
0: Yep. (laughs) Anne gives birth to Elizabeth in 1533. And I will say, while I'm not giving Henry any Dad of the Year awards, Despite the fact that I'm sure he was disappointed to have a daughter, Henry really went out of his way to reassure Anne that Elizabeth has primacy over Mary and to really at least make sure that Elizabeth is being treated in accordance with her station. I can't say anything about his like deep interpersonal relations with his infant daughter, but he very much at least like acknowledged her and formally treated her in accordance with her being the heir to the throne and i think that is important
1: it is important and it also really shows that she probably couldn't have walked in there at the end of the movie and just taken this child
0: absolutely not yeah mary uh weds william stafford uh, in 1534 and as we said earlier this probably is a love match The marriage is widely considered to be very much below her station. And in response to this, Henry and Anne banish her from court. Anne and Mary probably never saw each other again. There's obviously a lot that happens after this point, and Mary is very much at court for a lot of this movie. But there's no evidence to suggest that that was true, in reality
1: uh and they they show this they express in the movie that she's going back and forth by basically having poor scarlett johansson ride her horse basically along one stream over and over right, again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. henry and anne do have something of a tempestuous relationship not probably immediately after their marriage, but it does this kind of essentially eventually gradually worsen. After Catherine's death in 1536, Henry begins to essentially openly court Jane Seymour, or otherwise known as, what's he called, that milk-faced Seymour girl. Easily my least favorite
1: of the wives. Easily. bam.
0: Anne miscarries then in 1536 and some sources even suggested that it was essentially that she like flew into a rage upon seeing Henry kind of flirting with Jane and uh, that this then ended in her miscarrying. And as she recovers, Henry accuses her of uh, the accusation is sortilege, which can mean either just deception or can be spells or could apply some kind of accusation of witchcraft. He at this point moves Jane into fancier quarters and Thomas Cromwell in support of Henry, and probably also for his own reasons.
1: (laughs) he Didn't want to lose his head, he was pretty smart.
0: Yep, basically manufactures a number of accusations against Anne. Uh, And so these are charges of, of course, adultery and even incest. So she is indeed accused of having had sex with her own brother. As well as a number of other men, there are six men in total accused of adultery with the queen, which is treason. Uh, that that's including her brother, and all but one are executed. Also, I find it odd that they cut out all of that.
1: They had to cut out so much. I, I don't think anything's odd that they cut out anymore. I'm like <laughs> of true. course they had they had just butchered this story, especially towards the end. And yeah. <laughs> they, they had no room for anything else. Uh, I do think it is kind of strange, though. That at no point do they, they mention the supposed sixth finger that Anne had on her hand. And right. that was proof of her witchcraft. Because, you know, witches, they'd be having six fingers, I guess.
0: Right. And that it's also odd that I mean, so they it's just such an odd choice that they have this weird incest accusation that they give a lot of credence to. But they don't have Anne seeming to even, like, have ever met any other man she's not related
1: to. (laughs) It's so
0: true. It's just, it's very, it's just a weird way to tell this story.
1: Uh, In case you're wondering, this movie doesn't really pass the Bechdel test.
0: Oh no. And it is actually one of those odd things that, like, this movie, yeah, I do not think passes the Bechdel test. Yet somehow it's, like, one of the problems with it is that, like, there's also just so many men who are missing. (laughs) who would actually make that like I hate to say why aren't there more men yeah but there are so many men who the story would make more sense with them there I mean because I think one of the things that did kind of give some people that kind of made some people more willing to accept the possibility of the adultery accusations is that Anne did have essentially like a circle of guy friends there were like men who she was interested in like that they like you know would like sit would like hang out and like talk about poetry mm-hmm. and, and this wasn't like inappropriate or out of the norm and it's in fact like there's a long history of like women having these kind of like queens having these kind of like circles of male adherence for whom essentially like they're express like they're behaving in this way with the queen is actually an expression ultimately of loyalty to her husband but it's something that like supposedly at least gave credence to these accusations and it seems like an odd choice to have just completely not had any of these scenes as i said implying that she's like ever met another man
1: <laughs> men that i'm not related to or that aren't the king what are those <laughs>
0: Anne is indeed declared guilty and executed. It actually is a special privilege that she is allowed to be executed with a fancy, very sharp sword rather than an ax so that it's supposed to be like quicker essentially
1: yeah one of my favorite little details about her is that she uh requested the axe not the axe the sword from france in order to to spare her head basically being hacked at (laughs) until it fell off yep and uh, you know because henry's not a completely unfeeling guy he allowed it yeah
0: and she is by the way described as having said on the morning of her death I heard say the executioner was very good and I have a little neck and that then she put her hands around her neck and laughed. I will say like, She seems to have really gone to her death with a lot of composure, and I also don't like that it felt like the film took that away from her. That it really has her like sobbing at the end, and it's obviously like makes it this very dramatic scene, but I don't think it's true to the person who she is.
1: I think it would have been way better if Mary had been inconsolable and Anne had just been like, eh, I tried.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that would have been much better. And yeah, I think that was uh, the wrong choice. Henry Percy, who sat on the jury that declared Anne guilty, collapsed and had to be carried from the room and then died within the next year. I do appreciate at least that he clearly felt some remorse. Her garbage uncle, Thomas Howard, in contrast, apparently felt no remorse. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, decided that like, well, it didn't work out the first time. I guess I'll offer up another niece. (laughs) And uh, his Second niece, Catherine Howard, is the fifth wife of Henry and the second executed in 1542. And I will say the one silver lining in that is that in the context of that episode, Jane Parker slash Rocheford is also executed. Yay, finally. For having finally. allegedly been like the go-between between Catherine and uh, somebody she was sleeping with.
1: <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer woman.
0: Yep. So that's, that's really, yeah, the one silver lining. Norfolk somehow manages to fucking obtain to maintain his position. He does, however, end up in the Tower for Treason in 1547. Henry conveniently dies in between executing Norfolk's son and when he's supposed to execute Norfolk himself. And then he gets pardoned. Basically, then Edward, who is Henry's son with Jane, just kind of leaves him there. He then dies. And then Norfolk gets pardoned by Mary, Catherine of Aragon's daughter, because they're now buddies because they're both very Catholic. Uh. But yes, this fuck died peacefully in his bed in 1554.
1: It's so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, obviously history, you can't really argue with it, what happened happened, but that's one guy I'd like to invent a time machine for and just go back and punch him in the face a couple of times. Oh, 100%.
0: The other thing I want to note is that Elizabeth was most certainly not taken from court and raised by Mary Boleyn in like some estate in the country. The king actually spent a lot of time going back and forth as to which of his daughters would have primacy. I think in part basically because like the situation that he had like divorced and divorced and illegitimized his marriages to both of their mothers. Kind of left him at a complicated situation in terms of like he didn't quite want to declare like he certainly didn't really want to declare them both illegitimate and have no backups after his eventual son with Jane, but there also were like issues with him saying that like he'd been wrong on either like invalidation of marriage. So it kind of goes back and forth. It eventually ends up basically going by. Male first, but then after that, birth order. So Elizabeth becomes queen, but only after her brother and older
1: sister. He he didn't have to worry about it for long, though, because Jane Seymour gives birth to a son pretty quickly.
0: Yes, but he does, I think, still, you know, I mean, but there's still only one, none of his subsequent wives uh, after Jane give birth to any children. And he does, I think, like, especially because, like, Edward, Edward dies quite young. Mm -hmm. I I mean, he becomes king, but he's in, uh, I can't remember. and I didn't look up the dates offhand, but, like, maybe in his, like, 20s when
1: he dies. I think it was, I think it was, uh, he might have been even teen. Yeah, Yeah. I think he was teen. I think he was, like, 9 or 10 when he became king, and then 14 or 15 when he died. Anyway, he was really young. Um, And he didn't really have much of an impact.
0: (laughs) Yes, he is 16 years old when he dies, crowned at the age of nine and then dies at the age of 16. So and I think I think for most of his life, he was like somewhat sickly. And so uh, while Henry would have much preferred to have had additional sons uh, as his kind of like last ditch effort, like he didn't want to completely uh, invalidate the claims of his daughters as uh, people who would come after him in the event that Edward did not produce an heir.
1: Which had to be looking really likely, even by the time, <laughs> yeah, you know, Henry yeah. was dying. He, he had to see the writing on the wall with that one.
0: Right, I mean, he got this, like, sickly nine-year-old kid becoming king. Like, that's that's not a situation anybody wants to be in no. as you are dying.
1: No, and I think by this time, Henry Fitzroy had died, too. He died pretty young as well. Mm-hmm. Not quite a, as young as Edward, but uh, he died really young, too. So I think there's... There's the case to me be made that there was something wrong with Henry. <laughs> right. Because uh, his daughters did great. Yep. Well, they lived. <laughs> I won't say that yeah. Mary did great. Let me, let me rephrase that.
0: Yeah, and it is actually interesting, of course, that... Mary at least had likely, I mean, Mary at least clearly had some like infertility issues. Mm-hmm. She was married and never successfully produced her own heir. Of course, with Elizabeth becoming queen as a result, and Elizabeth then did not actually, uh, you know, never never married and therefore obviously didn't produce an heir. But, you know, but, yeah, but it does suggest uh, that it's not impossible that there were some then issues with infertility that were passed on to his children as well, uh, especially given the evidence with mary
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's great <laughs> i I'm, right. I'm if anyone deserved it, it was him.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially for somebody like so concerned about his fertility.
1: People actually died for this, so yeah i'm glad that yeah. he he didn't win in the end and that in terms yep. of that
0: yeah it's satisfying with that we can move to our next section the fabula nostra section where we talk about what movie we might make <laughs> instead of this one if that somebody gave us the money to do a film perhaps inspired by this and our thoughts about it
1: okay yeah let's just take philippa gregory out of the uh, equation completely uh, oh yeah absolutely <laughs> let's just say uh I, i'm still looking for a, a good movie on endeline i've seen yeah. a couple of things i've seen things where she appears but she's not the focus i have not seen the tutors because I got five minutes in and it drove me nuts so i had to turn it off Mm-hmm so I'd like to see a movie where we get to actually see her be smart and yeah the, the, we had one scene of it here and it just made me want so much more I would yeah. have think I think if you want to keep Mary and keep that element because that is an interesting element to have yeah. two sisters in the family be the mistresses and and how their fates intertwined and diverged could have been mm-hmm. interesting I think if they had focused less on henry and more actually on mary and anne I th- yeah instead of having them kind of at each other's throats i'd like there to be more of a bond but at the same time there's this competition between them yeah and i liked that uh, coming into it uh, mary's actually ahead because <laughs> she had the king of france right i think it would have been a really interesting if they'd been more complex and less virgin whore dynamic and right just no no nothing with philippa gregory let's just let's just get her completely out of here okay
0: my thoughts were very similar i would actually love to see a movie that really is about the relationship between the two sisters but that's about them and not so much like about men Mm -hmm. and then maybe the movie would have passed the bechdel test which (laughs) this film i'm pretty sure does not because they have a number of conversations but they are all about men so that's definitely something that I would appreciate and also I think I th- I think it would be more fun if they had Mary as just as like Anne like I think you know like Anne is this like very like smart savvy person and Anne is being this like I don't know she's like kind of dumb and she really likes sex. <laughs> that
1: would have been way more fun.
0: Yeah like I think that would have been a much more interesting movie. Yeah and also obviously like take out this like bullshit like we're not doing this bullshit like giving credence to the incest accusation nope that is
1: gone gone that's gone that's a real shitty take because it's so stupid and very incorrect and it drives me crazy
0: yeah, that, that definitely is, as I said, my, my main thing is that like the thing that in theory should make this interesting is that it should be a movie that's about a relationship between two sisters. It, it's like supposed to be the focus and yet it somehow gets sidelined and it's reduced to the only aspect of their relationship is essentially about their relationship to Henry, which sucks. Uh, yeah,
1: but you, I think you could say that about a lot of movies too. Oh,
0: yes. <laughs> Yes, it's not unique.
1: No, the, and I think that's part of the problem with this movie is that it's just, I, I am. it's so, it's nothing different. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't right. have liked it. I had to tell myself, okay, this is alternate universe. This didn't actually happen. Don't mm-hmm. worry. The history is still there for you to go back to. But <laughs> if they had just really made a choice to not right. be wishy-washy and gone completely off the rails, I would have liked it better. <laughs> Right, yeah, absolutely. It was the, you know, what happened to these characters at the end scroll. That yeah. b- bothered me a lot. Like, yeah, we know. If you had just cut, kept it as more soap opera and hadn't tried to walk... If you hadn't tried to have your cake and eat it too in terms of, this is history. This is just completely not at all true. If you right. t- hadn't tried to go down the middle of that, I think it would have been a better film.
0: It really is also... I think it is just a really interesting example of the fact that historical reality, what really happened, is often more interesting than the like bullshit oversimplified version of it than people make up when they're making movies. Mm-hmm. Essentially the oversimplification in this, of, I mean, that the decision in this that we're going to oversimplify characters, we're going to oversimplify narratives, essentially like so we can make this movie. I, I think they ultimately make a movie that makes this deeply fascinating narrative dull.
1: That's my biggest, com- well, there's so many complaints about the movie, but my <laughs> biggest is it's, It's just boring. Yeah. If you had gone in a different way, I I would have been able to deal with it and at least done something. Why change the history if you're just going to make it even stupider? Yeah.
0: That can lead into the enumeratio section where we discuss uh, what rating on a scale of (laughs) one to five we would give this movie. I have a feeling it'll be low for both of us.
1: Yeah, that'll be, uh, that's a good feeling because it's true. Uh, Uh I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a two. The only things about it I liked were some of the scenes with Anne and Mm -hmm. Kristen Scott Thomas. Obviously, phenomenal. Yeah, the acting I will say is not bad. The acting is overall pretty decent, with the exception of Eric Bana, of course, who I I can't think of a movie where I've watched it and thought, you know what, you know who was really good in that? Eric Bana. He's he's not (laughs) horrible necessarily, but I lied. Star Trek. The original, uh, the the first Star Trek updated version, the 2009 version. He plays an evil guy in it. He's covered in makeup. He's actually really good.
0: And then the next Star Trek villain is Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) That's true. (laughs)
1: Eddie Redmayne, it's your turn next. He Well, he he did, what was that one? Oh, I just went blank. The Wachowski Siblings. What was his weird space opera movie that he did right after, right before, right after he won an Oscar? If you win an Oscar, you immediately have to go in and do something just completely off the rails because you've won <laughs> your award. You don't care now. What is right. that movie that he did? That's going to bug me or else I'm going to have to Google that.
0: I'm going to give this a one point five. <laughs> really, I think the only thing about it that is worth mentioning positively is some of the performances. I, I, think, I think really I will say like, I think all of the women in this are quite good. And that really is the highlight of it. And it really is just I think in some ways, my frustration is that those scenes where they do actually not make up bullshit, are actually good and they just highlight what a disappointment the rest of the movie is. That those movie that those scenes with like Anne and her early courtship with Henry, they're just like, "Oh, this cast actually maybe could have made a good movie and then they made this instead."
1: Scarlett Johansson, this entire movie looks either sad or surprised. <laughs> those right. are the two emotions that this film gives her to do, and she does them well. Don't get me wrong, but just she constantly looks gobsmacked by everything that's happening.
0: She does, and like hers is, it's yeah, hers is. I will say, like I think Natalie Portman and Kristen Scott Thomas both give genuinely good performances. I don't think Scarlett Johansson gives what I would call a good performance, but I don't think it's her fault.
1: No, no, and I think Natalie Portman, when properly motivated, like she is here, uh, I think she cared, and she really she tried. (laughs)
0: I, I think she really did, yeah. And I and I think in a lot of ways, like, I think she does a good Anne. Like, I think that, I think her performance is successful. It's just not a good movie.
1: No. Donald Gleason is who I would not mm. want to see Henry VIII portray Henry VIII. He played Hux in the Star yeah, yeah. Wars movies. He played a whiny little bitch very well. I think he would be great <laughs> as Henry.
0: I could see that. Yeah bored. My other suggestion for Henry VIII that I was thinking was Chris Evans pulling a British accent since he's not quite a redhead, but he's at least like pale and he could die. And he also like, I, he, I saw Knives Out and I think he did a really good job playing an asshole. <laughs> but like an asshole who's like a little charismatic, which I think is right for Henry during this period. So I, I think that would work. Uh, although I'm not quite sure about how him pulling a British accent would work, but then again, this whole movie is American, so
1: it is. It is so American. I mean, I I could definitely tell it with ScarJo and Natalie Portman. There were there were times where they were fighting it. Yeah, I've
0: heard worse accents, but oh yeah,
1: great. oh yeah, I've heard way worse.
0: Cough. Uh, what's her name? Sansa Stark as the uh, Phoenix. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> uh, wow. Can she not do an American accent?
1: It's, I I always feel a little happy when I see that, because you see the Americans butcher non-American accents all the time, especially English ones, and I think it's- It's nice to see the reverse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And actually I will say Benedict Cumberbatch in Doctor Strange I find so awkward because it doesn't sound okay it actually doesn't even sound like he's trying to do an american accent based on listening to an american it sounds like he's trying to imitate Hugh Laurie as a british person doing an american accent <laughs> and it just feels very awkward it's so awkward it's a great way Hugh Laurie does a good job but like, yeah. it's just that like it's just like weird still it's like just like one extra step that like i think that's what benedict cumberbatch is doing and it makes it so uncomfortable
1: to hear Speaking of redheads, Damian Lewis, who played Henry VIII in Wolf Hall. So hey. I think he, he could be good. I haven't seen the this miniseries, but I, I think he would be able to pull it off. He I sometimes forget that he's English because he does such a good American accent. Props to him. Every other English actor should go to the Damian Lewis school of how to do an American accent. Right.
0: Thank you so much for coming on and uh yes for uh, for our listeners we we've, we've had some audio issues but we uh so this is our third recording <laughs> but finally so thank you for your patience
1: and for coming back. No, thank you for letting me come back. I when you you put out the call if people wanted to be on the show and I just said, hey, go to Early Modern. Let me talk about how much I hate Philippa Gregory. And you have been so <laughs> kind and let me do that. I am so thrilled. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. So are there places where listeners could find you on the internet if they so desired? If
1: they so desired. I am on Twitter with the highly original username Dana, D-A-N-A, underscore Elaine, E-L-A-I-N-E which is in fact my, my middle and first name. <laughs> so yeah, it's very, very convenient. Mine is
0: also convenient. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Iftdecker. And uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast, uh, you can find uh, the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod. You can also join the Facebook group. And most importantly, please do subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app. And rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. And I will read new five star reviews in future episodes. Uh, this is something that really helps the podcast and helps us find more listeners. So very much appreciated. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I will be uh, introducing potentially in the future an Ask a Medievalist segment. So I would love to hear from you via email if you would like to ask a medievalist at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you again, Dana, for joining me. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Why are you here her? Uh... Because she's my sister,
1: and therefore one half of me. The other Bullen Girl.